Hi, we're here again with the Footsteps of the Messiah podcast, and I am Kevin, and I am joined by a special co-host, Yafa. Thank you for being here again, Yafa, to help illuminate. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, you are very welcome. So, thank you for being here, and uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. So, first question that All right. uh, has been kind of on my mind is, why is Yom Kippur also call, called Yom HaKippurim? So, I started doing some research, and there wasn't really any other reason other than at some point in time, it had been abbreviated, which means uh, all I really had to do was look back at Leviticus 23. So let's take a look at that. Leviticus 23. And this happens to be in the parasha called Imor, which means speak. So take a look. Leviticus 23. And that's going to be verse... See, verse 8 is seventh day, should be a sacred occasion. That's about should, it's about Passover. And what verse were we in when we were talking about that? Um, let's see, that was oh, here we go, verse uh, 26. <laughs> so the Lord spoke to Moshe. I'm going to read it in Hebrew. What, what was it again? I actually didn't find it yet. What was it again? Leviticus 23, verse 26. So the 26, Lord thank you. spoke to Moshe saying, Mark the tenth day of this seventh month. It is, and I'm going to read this part in Hebrew, Hashvi, the seventh month, Hazay, this is Yom HaKippurim. So it literally calls it the day of the a day the day of atonement, plural. So that's where the name comes from. So what I really should have done was ask the opposite question. Why is Yom Kippurim, which we find literally in the Torah text of Vaikra Leviticus twenty three twenty six. Um, why was it abbreviated? Why do we call it Yom Kippur right now? And sadly, I don't have a definitive answer, but uh, it does seem that it was abbreviated probably in uh, at some point in Jewish literature um, for convenience, possibly. But more on that later if we find an answer. So, second item on the agenda for Yom Kippur. So. If we, if halakhically uh, outside in the outside Israel in the diaspora, if festivals are are celebrated for two days, why is Yom Kippur or Yom HaKippurim not celebrated for two days? Uh, so, one, yeah. of, go ahead, Yafa. Oh yeah, that that is interesting because um, it is only a one day. Uh, observance. So I'm thinking that it must relate because, um, because it's not on a new moon. It doesn't fall on a new moon. So it, it wouldn't relate to the sighting of the moon. Is that correct? Well, I mean, Shavuot, for instance, is celebrated for two days. Uh, Sukkot day one and Shemini Atzeret, which is the eighth day, you know, from day one of Sukkot, is also celebrated for two days, but only because of tradition. 
Um, so like we covered in, in another episode, we were discussing that when the new moon was sighted, it couldn't be um, certain some in some instances. So they would celebrate for two days until it was visible and until they had the right witnesses uh, with the right testimony. So after the calendar was fixed uh, approximately 200 to 250 years ago, um, it uh, it's really just done out of tradition in the diaspora. In Israel, they only celebrate for one day. So it's all festivals. Oh, okay. uh, but you're right. Like you really, once you have Rosh Chodesh uh, Tishri, which is Rosh Hashanah, um, you know what day it is. So you really don't need the second day. Um, but the tradition, quite simply, is not carried over to Yom Kippur because it's a fast day. And who's going to fast for 48 hours? So, <laughs> I mean, you have plenty of time from Kol Nidre in the evening of Erev Yom Kippur all the way to 25 hours later to get in all the prayers because you're not doing anything else. You have no meals to worry about. You have you know, no, no, um, personal care to worry about. Um, I mean, unless you need to, you know, leave service or take a break, uh, between services and go take a nap. But I mean, that's all you're doing. You know, you're like the angels in heaven. And, uh, that's another, another thing, you know, that, um, this year I feel like I had a, an epiphany about this that, um, oh yeah. So this is interesting. So, we don't eat, right? And we don't uh, worry about mm -hmm. food or drinking or, it, you know, even really personal hygiene. Uh, Halakhically, you're not supposed to. Uh, there are no, right. uh, you know, no sexual relations for married couples. So it's, you know, you're perfectly right. fine to be at the synagogue all day if you want to be. So here's the thing. What are we practicing for? As believers in Yeshua, what, what are we rehearsing for? So... In, in Judaism, and I'll let you answer that if you want to you know, say something about that. But in Judaism, um, they're thinking, and somebody literally said this the other day at a conservative service, that, well, we only have one day a year, so of course the synagogue is packed. It's full of, of people who are asking for forgiveness for all their sins during the year. But as believers in Yeshua, we don't see it that way, right? We have forgiveness. We have of atonement for our sin yeah. nature. Go ahead. Oh, excuse me. No, I would. Wow, my throat. I was just agreeing with you that we do have forgiveness. We do have forgiveness in Yeshua. But I also can't resist to ask the question: If um, the the word um, Yom Ha Kippurim is that how you pronounced it? Yes. So, okay, so you said it was abbreviated. So I'm thinking. Hmm. Is there any way that it was a that it was originally more than one day and it was abbreviated, or does the scripture make make it clear that it was a, even even using that word the plural in Hebrew? Um, is it still? Do you still believe it was originally just? I mean, is it clear that it was just one day? Yes, because it says Mark the tenth day of this seventh month is the sorry Mark the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement so the plural is not part of the word day in other words days of atonement it is singular day 
of atonements, plural. Because there are multiple atonements. There are multiple offerings that go on. And notice I'm not saying the S word, sacrifices. Sacrifice is not the best translation, um, as it so happens. Uh, offerings, uh, whether it's um, any of, you know, an assortment of Hebrew words, zevachim, korbanot, uh, kippurim, uh, offerings is really the best um, translation. But, you know, sacrifices. Okay. Is, is, yeah, uh, and, and I do totally agree with you that, yes, in Yeshua, we know that we are forgiven. So Right. Thank um, you for bringing me back to the we, point. So Yeah, so, why, so that is true. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just totally in agreement with you. So, right. Then the question would be, why do it? So, great question. But, yes, it is definitely a 24-hour day. And um, the... The idea I had here, though, is as believers in Yeshua, what do we need to be rehearsing? Because it is a Mikra Kodesh, a holy rehearsal. Mikra, meaning rehearsal, and a calling to order, an assembly, and Kodesh is holy, right? So it's a, it's a rehearsal that is set apart, it's sanctified, but as believers in Yeshua, we don't... It, first of all, on a simple level, we need to go person to person. Um, you know, between us and the Lord, we're, we're set. Like, you know, we can't, we don't ask God for forgiveness. If I wrong you, if I go, God forbid, and I say some Lashon Hara about you to one of our friends, uh, do I just go to God, ask for forgiveness for that? And it's all settled. Well, the scripture tells us, you know, Yeshua said, before you go to the altar, you make, you, you, um, how does the scripture, let me find it. You, yes, I know exactly. Basically, you ask forgiveness. Right, for, right, brilliant, mm -hmm. right, exactly. So, I cannot take care of that on Yom Kippur, unless I go to you on Yom Kippur, or hopefully, as soon as I am convicted about my, my transgression, right? So, I have to come to you. So, you know, Yom Kippur is about the sins between i think i misspoke i think the yom kippur is about the sins between us and god it's not between man man and, and that, that's really you know what elul from elul one all the way to rosh hashanah that's about rectifying relationships about going to our fellow brothers and sisters or even non-believers and seeking forgiveness oh okay so what you're saying is like prior to yom kippur that that time period is right but right. then on yom kippur okay right. okay I see. so so that being said now that i you know corrected my mistake so now that it's okay let me just read it here you know when in doubt go back to scripture right for it is a day of atonement uh yom kippurim it's interesting because that doesn't have the hay so it says, Hazeh ki yom kippurim. And, and let us not forget, right, that we need to talk about this, this phrase, yom kippurim, and another auspicious time, another, a minor, okay. a minor festival um, that connects. And, and you actually came up on Yom Kippur this year with a revelation that I had never thought about before. So we can't forget to go over that. So, for it is a day of atonement on which okay. expiation is made 
on your behalf before the Lord your God. So, indeed, any person who does not practice self-denial throughout that day will be cut off from his people, and whoever does any work throughout that day, I will cause that person to perish from among his people. It will be a Shabbat of complete rest for you, a Shabbaton, practicing self-denial on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening. So that answers your question. It's definitely 24 hours. You shall observe okay, this. Okay, yeah. You shall Shabbat this Shabbat. You shall, it says, Tish Batu Shabbat Chem. You shall, you will rest um, on, on your Sabbath. You will Shabbat on your Shabbat. So anyway, moving on. So I just wanted to um, talk about uh, how this, so spiritually, right? So this is a time to get right with God. And, and another interesting thing about uh, the, uh, I believe it's the Al-Chet prayer, where we say a litany of all these different sins and you know, there are lots of rabbinic stories about this, but, you know, the most interesting thing is over the years reading these sins, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, I didn't do that. And I didn't do that. Why am I reading this? I didn't do that one. Okay. I did that one. I did that one. And, um, last year I decided, no, I'm not going to do that one this year. And this year, you know, I was successful or I wasn't successful, but as a community, you're saying it for your community and the greater community of, Israel for believers. So we're all taking responsibility for each other, which, you know, we're all standing there as a community. So you might as well take responsibility as a community. And it's also to remind us what, what do you think? Remind you of what? What else? Uh, not the past, um, but the future. Right. Don't do them this year. Yeah. So yeah, don't repeat. It's a it's a time to to repent. Well, like you said, the the time prior is to repent, but but it is also time to um to go forward in victory. But you know, I also think that perhaps it should be the national day of prayer because it is oh, a time that is so to good. humble ourselves before God. Yeah. And you know, that's even though we we are forgiven in in the Messiah, but at the same time, you know, because we can identify with with some of those sins, and we are asking God's forgiveness with some of them. You know, like you said, we may not feel convicted of all of them, but there certainly are some of them that we acknowledge that we don't want to, um, you know, continue in for the next year. So we don't really know the full repercussions or or the full consequences that those sins bring but when we humble ourselves before god and we're asking for forgiveness we are you know asking for his blessing to come upon us corporately like you said and and israel and and you know the broader the broader uh well the world at large should i say right and and that's it yes that, that perfect and aharon he has to actually atone for himself and i believe for his family but definitely for himself before he can go through the process of atoning for the nation. And he's got oh, to meditate, right. yeah. he's got to meditate and really make sure he's not bringing any sin in there 
because it's a death penalty. Like, according to the scriptures, God will kill him. And not just Aaron, mm-hmm. but, you know, the high priest. So, well, thank you. That's that's great. So, yeah, let's move on to, oh, I wanted to say, this is the epiphany that I, I felt like I had this year, was that the Lord showed me that uh, we're supposed to practice being angels, like the angels. We're supposed to um, rejoice in the future Yom Kippur, where we will return at the end of the birth pangs with Yeshua in resurrected, immortal, incorruptible uh, bodies made of supernatural light, matter, etc. And that we get to practice for 25 hours being, you know, in zero need of, you know, using the bathroom of, of, for the most part, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I really don't have to use the bathroom on Yom Kippur because there's nothing in my system. So, I mean, yeah. it's just an amazing time that I'm not fettered with any of the trappings of regular life, of physicality. So, like, we're free from physicality. If you're wearing white, which most people do, you're in an unusual garb, and, you know, it's, it's free of stains, hopefully, you know, the whole day, and it's just an amazing uh, set of symbols and types and shadows uh, prophesying the future body that we're going to have that, that doesn't have to eat. I mean, I wow. it, it will that, for worship. That's purposes. amazing. Yes. Yeah. It just blew me away. I was like, yes. you know, we're, we're practicing being immortal for an entire day. And, and if it's a good wow. fast, which praise God, this last Tisha B'Av and ninth of Av and Yom Kippur were very powerful for me. I mean, I felt practically zero hunger, zero thirst, and I mean, I think I took a 20 minute nap, but I spent time with, you know, friends at the synagogue, stayed um, just, you know, talking, reading the book of Yonah, talking about life and spirituality and what God's doing. And it, it was just phenomenal. And I hardly thought about food. I mean, I was actually kind of bothered that we ended up breaking the fast a little bit early but it was a blessing because that means we got home that much earlier because it took two hours to build the sukkah but um i mean i would have been okay going a little bit longer going all the way till eight o'clock um so anyway i I just yeah it is fantastic and i that was a that was a powerful revelation for me Mm -hmm. that is wow so anyway praise god uh i wanted to talk about this revelation that Rabbi Ari shared this year that um, I, I feel like there's even more that we can see in this. So uh, when when Pilate, or I'm sorry, when Caiaphas uh, gave Yeshua over, when, when they arrested him, uh, first of all, how many we, we can see in, for instance, Mark 15 um, among the parallel passages, uh, we're not going to be able to look at all of them, but we're just going to use Mark probably for this entire um, part. It says, uh, Mark 15, verse 1, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the Torah, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. Do you see anything wrong, like, compared to Leviticus 16, where it says, the high priest, and here it says, very early in the morning, and what does it say? 
I'm trying to get the screen here, but it's not working for me. I'm going to have to That's okay. That's go okay. to my... It says okay, the chief ahead. priests, plural. Why would there be more than one high priest? Well, it, as it turns out, the system was corrupt. There weren't supposed to be high priest, plural. But the the system had become very political, very corrupt, and they bought their way in. Historically, we know this from various um, sources in Jewish history and Christian sources. So, basically, the revelation that Rabbi Ari gave the other day, was, which was really impressive, was that... Um, that I really resonated with me was that in order, you know, we see in Romans 13, right? Yaffa, that God gives authority and he gives us authorities, a sword or, you know, an instrument of discipline. Um, so whether they know it or not, they're an instrument of the Lord. They were put in that office by God. And we in our various, you know, whether it's a business role or spiritual role at your congregation, your local synagogue or church, um, or even in life, you know, your, your spouse, um, it could be a volunteer organization. Um, we are, uh, you know, the police, for instance, it could be like, you know, somebody who's uh, a mediocre law officer of the law, but they were still given that place and time to hopefully, you know, give you a warning or catch you before you hurt someone or hurt yourself. If you're speeding, for instance. So, Authorities are put in place by God. We see that in Romans 13. And that was the point that Rabbi Ari made was that um, Caiaphas was put in that role and God had to put a corrupt individual there so that he would give Yeshua up and let him be murdered. Because a righteous high priest would not have allowed it. Yeah, what is that scripture that where Yeshua tells him, you know, if it was not, if it was, if it was not for my father, you could do, you could not do this or something like that. You couldn't do nothing. Right. Let me that, find it. That the authority you've been given is, is given by God. Uh, yeah. I, uh, if you can find it and read it, that would be great. So I'm going to continue here because I, I do want to briefly talk about what we researched on the thorns. I want to talk about, um, where I wanted to take that. So that was that was totally revelation that Rabbi Ari gave a few a couple of Shabbats ago. Um, and that was that really blew me away. I'd never seen that before. And I want to take it a little further um, in that I oh oh so I didn't even fully explain it. So um, Caiaphas is like the high priest that has to uh, draw the lots for Azazel, the goat that goes the called the quote-unquote scapegoat and the goat that's for Adonai it's called La Adonai in Hebrew so uh, you know you have two goats basically and in picture form you've got Yeshua and you've got Barabbas right or Barabbas uh, in, in, mm -hmm. incorrectly pronounced right. who's, in, who's who's incidentally Obviously, it's it's not incidentally. It's not by coincidence. It's only by the Lord that his name means son of the father in Aramaic. Baraba means son of the father. And Yeshua is the true son of the father. So he was a fake, an imposter. He was a murderer. And then he escaped under false pretenses. He escaped because of the murderous intent of 
the Jewish leadership, the Israeli leadership at the time, and the fact that they were in cahoots with the Romans, and it was just all a political game. So um, he, they let Barabbas go, right? Which I, I feel that Yeshua was Adonai. He was the goat that when the high priest takes lots, it says in, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find it right away. I had it here a few minutes ago. It's in Leviticus 16 um, that the high priest is to uh, draw lots. And let's see, I believe that is in um, verse, well, it's Leviticus 16, that the high priest draws. 21, I think. Is it 21? Uh, actually, it's 16, verse 8. And Aharon shall cast lots eight, okay. upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord. And the other lot for the scapegoat. And um, by the way, I heard that um, I forget the name Tyndall. That I believe when when Tyndall wrote his uh, translation of the Bible, and I believe it was like he was doing it under penalty of death, so he had to do it in secret. And um, that he actually this was translated as escape like a scapegoat the goat that escapes but escape, yeah. mm -hmm. but, but that goat doesn't escape it ends up dying too um uh, uh -huh. so uh and i i think i i heard i don't have a source on this is it'd be interesting to research because i want to get back to the analogy here and the the spiritual picture in this and the prophetic um the prophetic seeds that god put in the torah that you know translate us all the way into uh the book of mark but someone told me the other day again i don't have a source on this so it has to be researched that the scapegoat was uh killed or stoned or pushed off a, pushed off a cliff that's what it is pushed off a cliff because oh. it started returning and that was a bad omen and so they went and pushed it off a cliff but Again, when in doubt, you know, turn to scripture first. So um, I'm not going to cover that part. But we know that it was supposed to be pushed, you know, sent out into the wilderness uh, to to die and carry. And it, it's called Azazel, which there's there are a lot of different ideas about um, what that could, could mean in different uh, translations. But interestingly enough, in modern Hebrew, I've, I understand... That if somebody wants to tell somebody else to go to hell, they say Lech la Azazel, walk to Azazel. Oh, so oh. that goat was going to hell, right? And where did Yeshua go after he died? We see in I believe it's Ephesians that he led captive, uh, he led captivity captive, and a train of captives left at Avraham's bosom or Sheol the pit or the part of the pit uh -huh. that was reserved for the righteous that they left uh, and were resurrected with Yeshua. And not the people that were resurrected temporarily in, in uh, mortal bodies as a testimony to the resurrection. Uh, we could talk about that another time. But there were people that resurrected and walked around and were recognized. And maybe, you know, they were on the earth until the 40th day and Yeshua took them with him. You know, we don't know that's not uh, delineated in scripture, but 
there were other people that were resurrected in the Gospels um, in addition to Yeshua. But I digress. So I think I think Pilate, I'm sorry, I think Caiaphas was like the high priest. The two goats um, that we see in Leviticus 16 were Yeshua and Barabbas. Um, I think Yeshua was La'adonai. I think he was, obviously, it was for the Lord. It was for the Lord his whole life, right? And and Lamed, the, you know, a, a deeper meaning you could look at. Lamed also, it looks like a chair. And the word Lamed means to study, right? So in a in a hidden way, you could say La'adonai means a student of Adonai, a student for the uh, of the Lord. And Yeshua was obviously the the greatest student of the Lord. I mean, he was the word became flesh, right? And so, and he submitted, he gave up his, his deity. He laid down his deity, equated it, not something to be grasped. Or he, he saw it as not something not to be grasped as a quality with God, not something to be grasped, but he came to earth, right? And he becomes the ideal and uh, epitome of a student of the Lord. And totally submitted. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Yeshua was the goat La Adonai for the Lord, and that Barabbas. I mean, I think Yeshua also had to be. Um, he went to hell right after he was mm -hmm. crucified. So I think in his mortal form he was La Adonai. Then he dies. He goes to hell or Sheol or the wherever Abraham's bosom is. And gets the the captives, and and there is a parable about that that Yeshua tells in the Gospels, and then we have that that verse. Maybe you could find it for us if you have a chance. In I believe it's Ephesians, and we could read that about leading captive, uh, captivity captive, and. Okay, sure. And I did find the other one. I'll read it after this so that we don't get off track. Okay. But okay. And so I think then he turned into Azazel, you know, he, he went to hell and uh, I, I don't know if it's my imagination or I heard someplace that they, oh, oh, they don't put a crown of thorns on the goat. They put, um, they put a, uh, I think they put something on its horn, some sort of um, rip, some sort of cloth dipped in blood. So I'm sorry I don't have the details on that. I, that may be in scripture or may be an extra biblical source. But be that as it may, uh, I, I see Yeshua as, as being that goat, being both goats in a way. And then Barabbas, you know, he, he gets away, right? So, you know, somebody was saying the other day, maybe his name meant his parents saw him as being, they wanted him to be for the father that of of his heavenly father they wanted him to to emulate um his his heavenly father um or maybe his father was a ne'er-do-well and um he became like him in a prophetic way through his name uh anyway lots of different ways you could look at that but uh i wanted to also talk about what is Pilate's part here and that you have this man that's spoken of and after it talks about in Leviticus uh, 16 uh, that so in verse 15 he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil 
and I believe that is the goat Adonai. If we go back a little bit, okay. So here we go. Aaron uh, shall cast lots. Verse eight. Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. Okay, so the Lord's lot fell. He becomes a sin offering. So that, that one is definitely dying. Um, the other one, the scapegoat, we don't know about yet. But the scapegoat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So then it talks about the bull for the sin offering. And then we go down to... Uh, verse 15, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. Now remember, that's the one that was chosen, La Adonai, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, etc., etc. Okay, and then we get to, we get back to the... There we go. Okay. Verse 21. And Aharon, the scapegoat, shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. That's the scapegoat. That's the Azza, the one for Azazel. And confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by that. This is the phrase that, you know, we're, we're so curious about. The head of the, uh, put upon putting his hands upon the head of the goat, sorry, putting the transgressions and all their sins upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So this this uh, appearance of this word, it's the only place in scripture that this word exactly spelled like this appears in Leviticus 16, verse 21. And I lost my place in my Torah. Um, Leviticus sixteen twenty one. The word is uh, one moment. Okay, Venatan Otam al Rosh Hasair, and he shall put them that's the transgressions upon the head of the goat Vashilach, and send Bayadish by the hand of a man Et. Ayin Tav Yud Hamid Bara. So, by the hand of a man, E.T., and we're going to talk about this word in a minute, basically designated to the wilderness. Okay? So, E.T., mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean extraterrestrial because it's not, it's not English, it's Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, E.T., it, it literally means... Um, Time and then when you add yud or yod to a letter to a word, it usually means mind. So this could be uh, by the hand of a man of my time. And Yeshua, like, had his time on earth. Yeshua actually, you know, could be all of these. He could be the man that takes death. And puts it on the the goat La Azazel that gets sent out, and he himself could be the goat. He, he takes the sin, he puts it on himself as a goat, and he himself leads the goat, which is also him, with all the sin of the world, 
into hell. Hmm. I did find that scripture, by the way. It's Ephesians 4. Oh, okay. Read it, please. Okay. It's, um, let me start with uh, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might feel all things. Perfect. Thank you. That's the one I was looking for. New York. So, and, and you know, really, I, I think that when I when I thought about the man that sends the goat out to Azazel into the wilderness that I really thought of Pilate for this role. I really think that. This yeah, is, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, is it's, that maybe it's Pilate. Yeah. Cause it's I really, think there's another turn that means ready. Maybe time, maybe he was ready to do it. Or like you said, God put him in authority for that seat or for that um, specific purpose. There was that other scripture that I found um, that related to that was John nineteen eleven. Let me read that real quick, if you don't mind. No, no, don't. You don't have to be quick. Go ahead. Okay. It is. Let's see. Okay, Jesus, uh, Yeshua, Yeshua answered, "You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above." Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Right. Yeah. Caiaphas, the high priest. And he's supposed to be. Making, oh, yes. yeah. Because he and, and, you know, think about this. You, you may you may have thought right um, out there in audio land. You may have thought, well, wait a second. Like this all happened at Passover biblically and historically. Why are we talking about Yom Kippur? Well, it's on virtually the exact opposite side of the year and it's like when you fold the year together it's like they're mirror images of each other there are many similarities between oh, wow. between sukkot and hagamatsa uh, also uh you have uh just just this, these you know kind of uh similar but you know differently observed themes and ideas and these auspicious times, these power stations, these like stops along the cycle of the year. But uh, I lost my train of thought. Basically, what I was trying to say was that Yeshua, you know, he lived a human life for only 33 years. So he, for whatever reason, God didn't send him back in time to fulfill Yom Kippur historically in a different way. There's going to be a future fulfillment of it, but we can see how um, he fulfilled this in a Yom Kippur-esque way. And that when you take the facts for, you know, putting aside the time of the year that it happened at pa Passover and Hagamatzah, putting aside that, the scenario fits really well in the Yom Kippur process and observances. Um Yes, and it also, you know, reveals that he's 
even though, I mean, Yeshua is clearly the Lamb of God, but he also, like you've explained, is that he fulfills the goat, uh, the scapegoat, or I'm sorry, not the, um, but the, how do you pronounce it in in, um, Hebrew? Azazel? Azazel, yeah. Azazel. So, yeah, I think that this is this is Pilate, the the um, the man Bayad Ish Et, the designated man, because you read it. You know, you would have no power unless it was given to you from above. So he's the one designated for this. Right. Now, this is this really blows me away, and I really have Rabbi Ari to thank. So, um, for even starting this whole idea. So, what happens to the guy who sets Azazel? the Azazel go free, which is literally what they translated as in the Etzheim Humash, um, Leviticus 16.22 verses, sorry, 16 verses 23 to 26. So let's jump down to uh, verse 26. He who set the Azazel goat free, Vaham Shaleach et Hasair, La Azazel Yekabes Begadav Verachat et Besaro Vamaim. He shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. After that, he may re enter the camp. What did Pilate do that was similar to this? He washed his hands. He washed his hands. Now, there is an idea in Judaism, okay, that if you can't immerse, that at the very least you do what to be spirit to feel a sense of spiritual cleansing. You wash your hands. It's the it's, yeah the laver or the the washing of the hands. Well, yeah, I mean the netilat yadaim netilat by the way means waving. It doesn't mean washing of the hands. Blessed are you know baruch atah adoshem eloheinu melech haolam asher gichanu mitzvotav tivanu al netilat yadaim. And we say, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who um, sanctifies us by your commandments and commands us to about the washing of the hands. We say washing, but it's not washing, it's waving. Netilat is waving, and that, 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 that's the, that word, the only other time it appears in prayers, is al netilat halulav, at Sukkot. We say, you know, blessed are you, etc., etc., who sanctifies by your commandments and charges us, commands us regarding the waving of the lulav. So actually, I just it just came to me. I, I just I asked the rabbi to help me with that. To uh, what? Why are we saying netilat for lulav and netilat for yadayim for hands? And um, you don't wash the lulav; you wave the lulav. Well, you're waving your hands, and it's symbolic of preparing to go to your table, which is now symbolic of the altar in the absence of the temple, because you're going to eat. And so we wave our hands and toward heaven and acknowledge that this is a service to God to go and eat, oh, wow. and eat, yeah. eat as a form of worship. And, and lots of women do the netilat yadayim too. So, you know, if you want to learn, then you, know, you can practice that. So anyway, I think I think Caiaphas is, you know, the, the corrupt high priest, as we said, and Pilate is the uh, man, the designated man. Uh, and 
he was set up for that time. And the word designated, it, it, it's, the root is time. Ain Tav. So that, to me, was just so fascinating. And, you know, the man, the designated man washes his whole body. But there's this idea that you can uh, do like a mini immersion if you do a meditation and just immerse your hands if you can't make it to a mikvah. Okay, so Kevin, I'm I'm always probing your thoughts. <laughs> I have to ask you, did it did it um, like justify him by any means? Do I you mean, think? I think scripturally we see that you know, and, and I love this this verse, and I like to to try to end all of our podcasts with it. And I believe it's um, Romans uh, ten uh, eight through ten that says. Um, Hold on, let me go to it so I, I say it correctly. That, um, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Um, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth. Oh, wait, that skipped verse 9. Um, but what is it? This is Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, I mean, if, if Pilate never did that, then no. I, mean, I think he died under condemnation. And his wife, remember, she even had a dream. She had a dream. Yes, she had said God, she or it was revealed to her to have nothing to do with that godly man. Right, and that you, you quoted that really well. So Matthew 27, 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So, so he was warned. He was clearly yeah, warned. And he still sent him to his death. Um, mm -hmm. because he was a man who, by his hand, oh my gosh, that, that's literally what it says in Leviticus 16, um, verse, uh, where was that? I'm looking at it, I'm looking for the Hebrew. Um, uh, I think it was 28, maybe, or 26. Um, yeah, so it says... That by the hands, oh, I really want to find it now. Uh, Let me see. I think I have it here. Okay, so Aharon lays both his 20, hands. Uh, was it 21? Yes, I think so. Designated man, designated man. Oh, wow, I'm just not seeing it. The man, the designated man. Yeah, I'm just not seeing it. So, anyway, um, maybe it's, yeah. I know I mentioned it earlier, but. Uh, I think it's 21. Because it says a fit, yeah, one translation says a fit man. And that oh, was the, it's the staring, it's staring at me right here on the page. Yeah, Bayad Ish, by the hand 
of a man of, uh, you know, E.T., of time or my time. So I feel like it's saying God's time. The my is God's time, right? And it's by his hand. And Pilate goes and washes his hands. But in this in this passage, Yaffa, he was supposed to go and immerse his whole body and wash and change his clothes. But all he did was his hands. Because he doesn't see his whole body, his heart, as filthy and murderous and guilty. He was just like, hey, you know what? His blood's off of my hands. Matter of fact, uh, let me see if I can find that real quick so we can... We can read that passage too. Um, it's uh, hands washing of the hands. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it, but uh, we know that that's all he does. Is that he just uh, says that he washes his hands of this man's blood. So. That's uh, that. Those were all the things I think I wanted to point out about the. Um, yeah, I think I found it. It's Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-four, and let's see. It says, um, "When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood." He said, it is your responsibility. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. See to it yourselves. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. See to it. Yeah. See you to it. And another version. Yeah. I'm innocent right. of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. All right. So I want to move on to Yom HaKippurim. So this also means a day like Purim. So Yom day ka is like in Hebrew. So if you look at the words and break it up a little differently and change the vowels, actually you don't even have to change the vowels um, that much. But Yom Kippurim is it, it also means if you break it up Yom and ka. And Purim, a day that is like Purim. And when you and I were talking on Yom Kippur this year, um, you pointed out that I, I just showed you the Hebrew. But do you remember what you showed me? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You, what was it? We were not nah, mean to put you on the spot. No, you, it was brilliant. You said, yeah, well, and on Purim they used lots too. And I went, oh my gosh. Like, I heard this over 20 years ago probably and it never dawned on me that they use lots at Yom Kippur as well and Purim means I was just thinking of it you know the title of the holiday but Purim means lots poor that's why it's called Purim because Haman cast lots to figure out what month and date to try to annihilate God forbid Shalom, the Jewish people and I, wow. it didn't dawn on me that lots are used at Yom Kippur. And we just covered... Wow, that's right. We we just, about that. that's right. Yeah, we just covered the lot, a, a little bit about the lots um, for the uh, for the, the goats. So uh, I'm going to read from the commentary of 
the et time uh, regarding the goats. So, um, oh, and then here's another very interesting uh, reminder of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Um, oh, wow. Okay, I'm actually, I'm just going to run through this. We might be here a little bit more. Uh, all right. Mot. I think I misspoke. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I said Emor is where the festivals are. The parasha called Emor is Leviticus 23. Mot is the parasha uh, Leviticus chapter 16 where we get all of the information about Yom Kippur and the process. The processes. Okay, so this is one of the parashios, uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus, whose name and opening words set the tone for all that follows. After the death of the two sons of Aharon, we are drawn to confront our own mortality and reflect on the direction of our lives. For the text proceeds by describing the Yom Kippur rituals of cleansing, self-scrutiny, and self-renewal. The rituals of the Day of Atonement are presented here rather than in the listing of holidays in Leviticus 23. Because their focus is not so much the public observance of Yom Kippur. Their focus is the priestly responsibility to cleanse and purify the sanctuary so that it will be a fit place for the atonement rituals. Achare Mot is read in the spring six months before and after Yom Kippur as if to suggest that any season is an appropriate time for self-scrutiny and atonement. Wow. Remember what we were talking about, how the calendar is like you can fold it uh, onto itself and there are these mirror images? So this parasha, yeah. this parasha about Yom Kippur, I always thought it was odd. Like, why do we read this at around Pesach? I mean, it's just, but uh -huh. it, it's, I think, on a deeper or higher spiritual level, Yafa, it's because Yeshua is fulfilling this, but he had to come at Pesach to do it. <laughs> That makes sense. Wow, that does. Because mm -hmm. he couldn't come twice and do it twice, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I guess he could do anything he wants, but that, you know, that wasn't the plan of God. It was to send him to the world once and let right. it happen once. And now, uh, some commentary on verses three through five of Leviticus sixteen. For the midrash, the book recalls the merit of Abraham's offering in Genesis eighteen. The ram is a reminder of Isaac's readiness to be sacrificed, to be offered in Genesis 22. This is talking about the different animals for Yom Kippur. And the two goats symbolize the meal Yaakov prepared for his father to receive his father's blessing. Genesis 27, 9. The four linen garments worn by the high priest represent Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. On Yom Kippur, we come before God armed not only with our own merit, but also with that of our ancestors, extending through the generations. Wow, praise God. Okay. So, uh, let's see here. All right, so verse 8. One marked for the Lord and the other marked for Azazel. A Hasidic comment interprets these words to teach us that we should spend as much time, money, and energy on God's purposes as we do on earthly pleasures. So, you know, meaning one goat is marked for the Lord and the other marked for Azazel. If Azazel is taken to be the name of a demon, either the... Now, this is from a traditional conservative Jewish commentary, okay? This is not written by openly messianic um, believers in Yeshua. 
if Azazel is taken to be the name of a demon, either the demon that entices people to sin or the malign power that testifies against them on the Day of Atonement, then the scapegoat is cast into the wilderness or in later interpretations thrown off of a cliff rather than sacrificed in the usual manner to avoid violating the ban against offering sacrifices to demons. A Midrash sees Israel offering the scapegoat to Azazel as a bribe to persuade him not to testify against Israel or as a distraction to keep him from his evil work. P-D-R-E, which must be the source on that. What can we see as the meaning of the scapegoat if we do not accept the Azazel? What, uh, what can we see as the meaning of the scapegoat if we do not accept the Azazel as demon theory? It may be a symbol of the evil impulse itself, the tendency to be led astray by the animal part of our nature, by lust or appetite. It may have been believed that words alone were not enough to rid the Israelites of the inclination to do wrong. Something physical had to be expelled from their communal midst. Hirsch interprets the two goats homiletically. We can follow our sensual instincts into the wilderness, leading to self-destruction, or we can sacrifice our instincts to the service of Hashem. Verse 13, the Talmud suggests that the offering of incense, which has scent but no physical presence, atones for sins of gossip and slander, which are also without physical reality, but can be carried far and wide with serious consequences. There are more sins relating to improper speech in the Yom Kippur confessional than any other category of wrongdoing. Babylonian Talmud, Yoma 44a. So I wanted to, any comments or ideas? Yeah, I mean, it definitely portrays the, the substitute, you know, that it was a substitute in the laying on of hands. Um, so it it reveals that, that God allowed the Azazel to be a substitute. Yeah, that's good. So here we... And we know that, of course, Yeshua is our substitute. You know, he, he, he took our place. Um, for us, and so it's consistent with Scripture of how Yeshua is our substitution of, of our sins. Right, exactly. Okay. So I wanted to talk one more thing about one more thing with the lots. So uh, the one mark for the Lord and the other mark for Azazel. So one lot, they had these two lots, right? And they were in a box, and one lot bore the inscription for the Lord, La Adonai, and the other bore the inscription, La Azazel, for Azazel. The precise meaning of the Hebrew Azazel found nowhere else in the Bible has been disputed since antiquity and remains uncertain. Um, so, uh, the and then the, the Azazel was, I'm going to get back to the lots in a second, but the... Uh, left standing alive. The he-goat selected for Azazel was not slaughtered for a sacrifice as was the other goat, but served as a different means of obtaining expiation, which we covered, you know, it says that it was um, cast into the wilderness and in later interpretations thrown off of a cliff. But the way that the priest did it really simply, I, I may not be giving, you know, like enough detail on this, which I, I wish I had the source, but the, uh, the ma I believe in the uh, Lev Shalem uh, Machzor, which is the book for all the liturgy and prayers for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, has a really interesting um, description of the lots. Basically, the high priest 
would draw the two lots. And so not looking at what each one said, he would assign a lot to one of the goats and the other lot to the other goat. So um, you have these two goats sitting there and he grabs one lot, doesn't know what it says, and he assigns that lot. I don't know if he hands it to a person that's holding that goat, but that lot, lot one will be, will go to, you know, one goat and lot two will go to the other goat and then they turn them over and then they see it says La'adonai for the first one, for instance, and La'azazel for the second one. And those goats become, they take on that identity. They take on that title, that status, and those are the goats used for those purposes that year. So uh, moving on, we have a couple of other items we wanted to cover for Yom Kippur uh, that have uh, come up this year and have been fairly profound and interesting. Um, so I mentioned it earlier. One of the things we want to talk about briefly is what are the only 24 or 25 hour fast on the calendar? I believe that it's 25 hours to make sure that, you know, we go all the way from sunset to sunset. We don't want to undershoot our goal for the entire fast. But um, historically, after the destruction of the temple, uh, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, became the other fast day on the calendar that is a complete and total fast. So, uh, the uh, I wanted to cover where that is in Scripture. So, let's take a look at that in Zechariah 8. We've got uh, where it mentions the four fast days that will become... Joyful and glad occasions. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 19. The fast of the fourth. That's Tammuz. The fast of the fifth. That's Av. The fast of the seventh. That's Tishri. And the tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions. And happy festivals for Judah. Therefore love, truth, and peace. So the fast of the fourth is the seventeenth of Tammuz. The fast of the fifth is the ninth of Av, the fast of the seventh. Well, I used to think it was Yom Kippur. It's not, because Yom Kippur is already a joyful and glad day. Because we are joyful, we rejoice in the Lord uh, receiving our atonement and get, granting forgiveness for our sins. So this, uh, which I believe we covered in another podcast, is actually... Som Gedalia. I think we talked about this in Rosh in one of our Rosh Hashanah podcasts. That the seventh, it, the, and, and this is in uh, Jewish writings and commentary. That this is actually uh, the third of Tishri, uh, Som Gedalia, and so it is not um, actually talking about Yom Kippur. And the fast of the tenth would be the tenth of Tevet. When uh, the, I believe it was the Babylonian siege began against Jerusalem. So um, the fast of the fifth, though, is a 25-hour fast because historically we can see in the Tanakh, uh, the Roman uh, destruct, no, I'm sorry, that would be the Babylonian destruction of the first temple began on uh, the ninth of Av, but it carried over all the way into the tenth. So it didn't; it wasn't destroyed until completely burned down 
until sometime on the 10th. So uh, there was debate about when to, when to start the fast day every year. And the idea was um, the minute the destruction started, they wanted to be fasting, I believe. But uh, most people, like we covered earlier, can't fast for two days. So to fast the 9th and the 10th would be unreasonable uh, and not a burden that anybody, any of the leadership wanted to put on the people, I believe. So um, certain righteous, uh, certain people who wanted to, uh, I guess they just call them, you know, righteous leaders or righteous um, or zealots, uh, you know, not, not necessarily a bad thing, uh, would fast into the 10th day or maybe until sun up on the morning of the 10th. So they would fast from the ninth all the way into, you know, until sun, sun, sun up, sun, sunrise of the 10th. Uh, or on the 10th, they would refrain from eating meat, which brings joy. Uh, they would refrain from, uh, you know, something to continue the fast all the way until the 11th. And that is the only other 24 to 25 hour fast day um, in Judaism. Uh, so we talked about the seventh month. In this case, the fast of the seventh is not Yom Kippur. And uh, I wanted to cover why Jonah's read on Yom Kippur. So we could take a, a look at one connection to Yeshua. Really, Jonah is uh, symbolic of the Mashiach in, in many ways, which we'll have to cover in another episode. But uh, Yonah means dove, and there are a lot of similarities between uh, the book of Yonah and the story of Noah, and how he sends out a dove um, that ends up showing that there is land after the destruction. Uh, you know, Yonah is the only prophet also that it, it's, it's really, he, he says like four words. Uh, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, or five words. And it, there's there's really not a lot. He's not a prophet that we hear many, you know, details about. Uh, as far as his prophetic career, it's more, uh, you know, a narrative. And that uh, it you have 40 days from when he starts his ministry his prophetic utterance and there is uh, this idea that it's the 40 days of repentance of teshuva and that he is calling out from Elul 1 to Yom Kippur and one of the funniest things about Yonah is that they put the animals in sackcloth and it says even the cattle they put in sackcloth uh, to uh, repent yeah, they did. They fasted as well, right? The animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a couple of other things it talks about. You know, Yonah goes all the way down to Sheol. The word Sheol is actually used, and um, yeah, there's there's just so much there that we're not going to be able to cover in this episode. So we may do another episode entirely on the Book of Yonah, but it has to do with repentance. The forty days is interesting. And, uh, you know, an important correlation to the 40 days of repentance. And you also have at the end that he, you know, built a temporary dwelling and that 
uh, you know, it, it's similar, if not exactly, a Sukkah, which, you know, comes on the heels of Yom Kippur. So, um, oh, yes, yes. Those, and I just wanted to go ahead and read that verse, uh, Matthew twelve thirty nine through 40, real quick. So let's go over there, because this is where Yeshua talks about the book of Yonah and his life. So, let's see, 39 through 40. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the Torah said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Yonah. For as Yonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Yonah, and now something or someone greater than Yonah is here. So if we take Yeshua at face value, something, I'm thinking he's not just talking about himself. Maybe he's not even talking about himself at all. He's talking about the ingathering of the exiles. He's talking about that the, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's talking about the reality of uh, and fulfillment of the gospel, which, which is not just that you know, Yeshua is the Messiah and was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. It's more than that. Like, that's just the gateway to the whole redemption of the world and the Messianic age that is now, um, you know, a, co a couple thousand years away from actually culminating that it, the something greater is that, you know, Yeshua says the kingdom of God is among you. Like, he's here to inaugurate it in part but not fully okay. yet. So, anyway, I think it's fascinating that he talks about Yonah in such detail. And I mean, he does, you know, like a, a fulfillment. He's showing literally how Yonah was a fulfillment of prophecy. Like he's saying, uh -huh. Yonah was me. Yonah was the was like the Son of Man. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it, it's just there's so many Yom Kippur tie-ins in the life of Yeshua. So anyway, um, thank you for being here with us, Yafa, and for asking some great questions yeah, and making some, making some great observations. Uh, thank you, friends. Thank you for listening and supporting Footsteps of the Messiah. We bless you. May you be encouraged and inspired. And may you seek the Lord uh, today and always. Uh, God bless you and be well. In Yeshua's name, shalom. Shalom. Sure.